Hey everybody, this is Lucas from Coastal Vineyard. Just wanted to say thank you for downloading this podcast or maybe picking up a CD after service. We love you and we are praying for you. We believe that your best days are yet to come. So expect the best. We hope that this message inspires you and moves your faith into action. So sit back and enjoy. Book of Isaiah chapter 1. And we will get there in just a second. Isaiah chapter 1. Um, are you tired of church? Are you absolutely just tired of church? Um, this is something I've heard for quite a while now from a lot of different people. Um, a lot of people, young and old, just talking about how, man, they're just tired of church, tired of this or that about church, and um, not just ones like there, there, there are people that have been in the church for 10, 15 years that are just saying, you know, Luke is just, just tired of church and a lot of people leaving the church and th- these reasons and that reasons and all different types of reasons why everyone is just tired of church. And I got to thinking about it and um, I, I asked myself the question this week, um, well, I wonder if God is tired of church. I know you're, everybody's complaining about how they're tired. What, what, what about, is God tired of church? Hmm. Um, so we're going to look at that in, in a second, and we'll get there. Um, so Isaiah chapter 1, a little bit of background before we get going with Isaiah. Um, remember, Isaiah, uh, we talked about last week, is happening at a time where we've gone through the history of God's people, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, uh, 1 and 2 Samuel, 1 and 2 Kings, 1 and 2 Chronicles, Ezra, Nehemiah, Esther. And at Esther, there's kind of a pause and a break where from this point on, Esther, through the rest of the Old Testament, everything that you're reading is sub-stories to what's already taking place inside of the main story, inside of the history of God's people. Genesis through Esther. Everything, this kind of timeline of the Old Testament happens there. So now when we begin to read Isaiah, we're reading of a prophet giving these prophecies and these words inside of something that we've already read and happened. And primarily inside of the book of First and Second Kings is where we're going to be reading Isaiah from. Now, the book of Isaiah is really broken down into three sections. The first part of the book, uh, chapters 1 through 39, Isaiah is giving these prophecies, these words, to his generation, to the people he's living with among right now. This is the state of Israel, and he's giving these words. Now, the second part of the book, chapters 40 through 55, he begins to give these words of like, this is what's going to happen to the nation, to Israel in the future, and he starts to talk about the exile that they're going to go through. So I know we've already read about the exile, but Isaiah is prophesying this at a time where it's yet to take place. And what's amazing is he prophesies this in very great detail. And you would think that if you had some of these prophecies that he was given that you'd kind of listen to them, but we'll see that they didn't. Um, And then the last part of the book, 56 through 66, primarily he's talking talking to the people what will happen after the exile, after they'll be released and they start to return. And so there's really three sections of the book. And the key to understanding the book of Isaiah is understanding chapter 1 and verse 1. And chapter 1 and verse 1 says this, The vision of Isaiah, the son of Amos, 
which he saw concerning Judah and Jerusalem in the days of Uzziah, Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah, king of Judah. So right there from the beginning, this is the book about visions. This is the book about things that God is showing him about the people of God. And he's doing this at a time where he says right here, this is what happened in these days. He's in Jerusalem and in the days of these kings, Uzziah, Jotham, and Ahaz, and Hezekiah. So during these, te- these, these days, these times where these kings are ruling the land, he is giving these words of prophecy to God's people. Now what's interesting is these four kings that he's mentioned, three out of the four, the Bible tells us that they did what was right in the sight of the Lord. So three out of four kings are primarily good kings. And the people of God, he's prophesying these words to a time where things are primarily good. Things are going good. They're in the southern part of the kingdom. The kingdom has been divided to the north and the south. So in the southern, southern tribes here of Judah and Benjamin, he's prophesying these words in, in a time where three out of four kings are good. But at the same time, what's happening in the northern kingdom is that there's bad kings. And this is the same period of time in which Assyrians are coming in and they take the northern kingdom captive. So all of this really bad stuff is happening up north. And all of this seemingly really good things are happening down south. Like it is today. No, I'm just joking. <laughs> Come on. But all of, all of like the northern people were like, no, that's not funny. Don't, you don't mess with, okay, I'm just joking. I'm just joking. Anyway, so all of this is happening and... He's giving these words, and the words that he begins to give are seemingly really, really harsh words, saying to the people, repent, turn from your ways. You're doing this. You've lost track. And he's, he's saying this, and the people, I could just imagine what they're thinking. They're thinking to themselves, like, seriously? Like, no, we're doing good. We're doing all the things that we're supposed to be doing. We're reading, you know, we have the book of, of Leviticus and all the laws that God's have given us. And we're, we're doing the things that God's told us to do. We're making our offerings at the certain times of the year. We're going to the assembly when we're supposed to be going to the assembly. We are gathering together. We're, we're giving up um, everything that we're supposed to do. We're living this type of holy life. And so they're looking like, why are you giving? I mean, we're nothing compared to what's going on up north. Look at all the bad kings. Look at all the ruins. Look at how all the destruction that hap- that's happening. Surely we are a blessed people. And so they could, be re- they could be listening to the words of this prophet in this time period, and they're thinking to themselves, what are you talking about, Isaiah? You, surely you've missed it. You've got us confused with someone else. And then he goes on to say this in the book of Isaiah, chapter 1, and then verse 12. And remember, this is the words of the Lord to the people. When you come to appear before me, who has required this from your hand to trample my courts? Bring no more futile sacrifices. Incense is an abomination to be. The new moons and the Sabbath and the calling of the assemblies. I cannot endure iniquity in the sacred meeting. The new moons and your appointed feasts, my soul hates. They are a trouble to me and I am weary of bearing them. What is God saying here? God's saying, I'm tired of your church. God is saying, I'm tired of this routine that you've gotten into. 
you're assembling at the right times. You're doing the sacred festivals. You're keeping the Sabbath days. You're doing all of these things. You're keeping the letter of the law, everything that I spelled out to you in Leviticus, you are doing. And I've gotten to the point where I am weary of bearing this. God has become tired of his church. And that, and imagine you're there, you're those people, and you're thinking to yourself, but wait a second, we're doing all the things that you told us to do. We're, we're you know, we're, we're doing it right, aren't we, God? Have you, can you relate? Have you known what it's like to do all the right things, and yet you are still bored to death? You're complaining about church, you're complaining about this, and have we ever stopped to pause to think that, man, maybe God is too? Have we gotten into such a routine that we are weary from it as well? And do we like to put all of the blame on God? Saying, well, God, this is not how it should be. And, and, and we find ourselves like waiting on God. We come, we come to church or we, we, we go throughout our weeks and we're constantly waiting on God for God to do something. And we've never paused to think, well, maybe God is waiting on us. Maybe God's waiting on us. Um, have you ever gone to church thinking, man, this is, things are just, I'm looking for the perfect place. And you think you find it for a minute, and you're just like, oh, this, this church is awesome, or this group of people that we're gathering together, this is, this is amazing, only to have some time go by, and you find you're just as bored later as you were the one that you came from. Um, this has been a while ago, maybe, maybe a year ago now, I was talking to this one gentleman, and without exaggeration, he began to list for me probably about 20 different churches that he had attended. And he began to tell me what was wrong with each one of these churches that he attended, but how he was so happy here. And all I could think of the entire time he was talking, it's not going to be too long before we find our way on your list. Go ahead and put us down as number 21, because I guarantee it's going to happen. And it happened. Have you ever gone, you're looking for this kind of idea and it's not long before you're just bored again. And so the question this morning is, well, what makes a great church? What makes a great church? Is there a church that you could go to and not be bored and not feel like it's a weight on your shoulders? I am weary of bearing this. Is there a church that we could feel like it's not such a weight to go to church, not such a striving. Um, What makes a great church? Well, um, there are lots and lots and tons of books out there that try to answer this question. And it's all of these pastors trying to say, well, this is what you do to make a great church. And for a long time, uh, to be a great church, this is what you had to do. One, it was like the focus on we have to really cater to Christians. And so we have to really focus on the family, we have to focus how we can uh, make it a better workplace environment for them and provide overall direction and, and give Bible study and really kind of help Christians live and walk out this better life. And so if we can make their stay on earth a little bit more comfortable and, and just a little bit better throughout the week, that's 
what really makes a good church, and that's what will get people coming back. And then things kind of changed, and then people said, no, the way to really have a great church is to really be seeker-sensitive, to really cater to ones that don't know the Lord, and to really focus on getting people saved and introducing them to Jesus Christ. And, and, and this is what really makes a great church, is where it's all about the unreached and all about being seeker-sensitive. And then there's like, well, no, there's other things that make a, a great church. And it's, it's really focused on having really great ministries. If you have an awesome men's ministry or if you have an awesome youth ministry or women's ministry or if the, uh, this type of class is going on, that's what makes a great church. And so we have to offer all different types of classes for all different types of people. And so we do things like uh, financial classes, marriage enrichment classes, um, how to better raise your kids classes, how to overcome addiction, um, all of these things and all of these, these ministries that could be new and exciting. Um, and that's what makes a great church. And, or I know what else makes a great church. It's you've got to have really great hospitality. I mean, everybody has to be so welcoming and so just, you just got to feel the love when you come into the room. You know, you just feel the love. Like you felt this morning when you came here, you just felt the love. And that's what makes a great church. Or no, it's not the hospitality, it's the music. The music has to be such a way and it has to be, it has to be modern but not too modern. It has, the guy that's leading it has to be cool but not too cool. His beard has to be a certain length for it to really, I mean, that's what makes great music. Or no, no. Oh, that's not what makes a great church. It's the pastor. The pastor has to have a certain kind of charisma about himself. Uh, he just can't be this way. He can't be that way. He has to tell us these kind of stories. He has to talk about his family, but not too much about his family, because then that would just be weird. Or he has to do this kind of, uh, or, so, no, it's a really a great pastor. Or, no, it's not the pastor. It's a building. You got to have a really awesome building, and it has to be really big, and it has to seat lots of people, and it has to have really awesome lights and flashy things because that's what's going to draw people in. And then we scatter glitter all over the place because ah, it's awesome. That's what makes a great church. But here's the thing we could have all of these things, and there's always something new some new technology, some new way of doing things, some new program, some new ministry, some new hip revolutionary way to do church. But it's not long until the new becomes old and you're bored again. And it's not long until that wonderful music turns into old music and to that charismatic pastor turns into just, eh. Because let me tell you, um, when I was in Dallas, I got, I lived not maybe three miles down the road from Bishop T.D. Jakes. And in my opinion, he is the best preacher on the planet. I just love T.D. Jakes. Uh, He can take a sermon and just, I mean, amazing. And so I would go there all the time whenever I first started. I just, oh my gosh, you know, this this guy's amazing. But it wasn't long before, I'm kind of tired. I'm going to sleep in, skip him. And it wasn't long before I, too, was in that same boat. So it has to be something more. But here is the problem. 
All of these things that I've just listed, whether it's catering to Christians, catering seeker-sensitive, having new ministries, new classes, better hospitality, better music, better pastors, better buildings, these are the things that drive the church today, and they're getting us nowhere. You could go to a church that's seeker-sensitive, and 10 years later, you could find that those people are still seeking, and they haven't found You could go to the church that's catering to Christians, and 10 years later, those same Christians are still there, and they've yet to go and make disciples. We could have all of the programs and the best preaching and the best music and still be absolutely bored to death, and church can be like a weight on our shoulders, and we could be tired of it, and God can be too. We could have the best atmosphere around in the most awesome building and fill it full of people and still be empty on the inside. And so the answer is that our answers have become the problem. What makes a great church? The answer is that our answers have become the problem. And that is why we are so displeased. We have everything that we want and nothing that we need. And it isn't long before the new becomes old and the pattern continues. And we're sick and tired of church and we're tired of the routine. Until we find our church like the wings store and the eagles and all of those other things that scatter Myrtle Beach and Ocean Isle and Holden. So you could go into those so-called surf shops, and you could find everything you want in there. You could get hermit crabs and keychains. You could get towels with your name on them. You could get all kinds of stuff. But what you know, you know what you can get in there? You can't get a surfboard at the surf shop. They use them as wall art. But it's not long until our churches have turned what was supposed to be center into simple wall art. And we sell everything. We sell keychains and hermit crabs, and we call them really wonderful ministries, and we've missed Jesus completely. And so someone asked me one day, how come we don't have any pictures of Jesus in this church? And to which I wanted to take a mirror and say, we do. This is what Jesus is supposed to look like. But we think that a church is great if we sell keychains and hermit crabs, and if we have the best ministries and this and this and this, and all that stuff, while it's great, it's all extra. It's all extra. And we've lost our main purpose. We've become like Harvard. You know that Harvard was founded to be a school for Christians? Christian missionaries and Christian ministers was the original purpose of the school of Harvard. Now, to even mention the name of God is taboo. You could go to a coffee shop and get everything that you want, frappa, frappa this, mocha, mocha that, but you can't get a plain cup of coffee. You could turn on the radio and you could hear more ads than you do music. You could turn on your TV and see more commercials than you do shows. And you could go to your church and you could see more of everything else but Jesus. 
and we have taken what was supposed to be primary and made it secondary. It's a little like going to a steakhouse and focusing on the ice cream. Now, don't misinterpret what I'm saying. All that other stuff is great. It's great to have ministries and classes and helps. But this should never be central to our mission as a church body. It should never, ever be central to our mission as a church body. And what was supposed to be primary becomes secondary. We find ourselves where we're at today. A nation full of spiritually empty people that have gotten everything they want and nothing they need. I think sometimes the biggest failures in life is to get everything that you want. To climb the ladder of success only to get to the top and realize that you're on the wrong building. We've built great buildings. We have awesome music. We have great communicators. We have ministries for every problem that you might face. And we're empty. I was watching a a documentary. Um, Documentary? Documentary? I've heard it both ways. Um, And uh, it was one of those like health food, eat, eat good type things while I'm eating Twinkies, you know. And um, I'm watching this and there's really smart guy. I know he was smart because he said a lot of words I didn't understand and <laughs> wore glasses and stuff. And um, he's starting to talk about different eating habits inside of America and really kind of showing it with the world. And he said something that just really captured my attention. He said this, uh, Americans are eating more than ever and starving to death. And the second he said that, I said, man, that's so true, not just physically, but spiritually. We are eating more than ever and starving to death. We have more church stuff than ever. <laughs> and spiritually, empty. We're getting fed all of the things we want and none of the things we need. I didn't come to Christ to have a good marriage. I have a good marriage because I came to Christ. And the difference is a world of difference. Do you know what I'm saying? We don't teach financial classes to get you financially healthy. We teach that Jesus is the Lord over your finances. And he will make you healthy. And by the way, here are some things that he teaches about it. And everything else keychains and hermit crabs. So what makes a great church? Well, one, like we just talked about, is you've got to eat the right foods. You've got to eat the right foods. It has to be the right thing. The main thing about church has to be the main thing. Now, the second part of it is this. Um, With eating the right foods is you've got to burn some calories. In other words, this, your faith was meant to be active. You don't come to church, and church doesn't stop Sunday afternoon. Sacrifice doesn't stop with the tithe, and learning doesn't stop when the priest says amen. Your faith was made to be active. 
you were fed so that you can go and feed. And Jesus turns to Peter and says, do you love me? If you do, go feed my sheep. Paul is encouraging Timothy, stir up the gifts that are inside of you. Make them active. Don't just let them sit there because faith, it tends to settle down. We have to continually stir it. Faith was made to be active. Jesus sent out his disciples. Jesus said, go and make disciples. These drums are wonderful, but they're not made to be admired. They were made to be beaten, kicked, and crashed, just like your faith. It's made for motion. It's made to be active. Now, in, um, I'm not sure if this was Southern California, Central California, um, not too long ago, a group of fishermen uh, woke up one morning and went out to a cove inside where all of the boats were docked, only to find millions and millions of dead fish laying there, and to which, what is going on? What, what has happened? Just millions of fish. And come to find out what had happened is, of course, fish swim in schools, and these fish had swam into this cove. But instead of just simply swimming back out of it, they all just stayed there until they died. And all these scientists got together and they were trying to figure out, well, how did they die inside of this cove? Well, what caused it? Was there toxins in the water? Was it, what, what had happened? And come to find out is there was so many fish inside of this cove, so many millions and millions of fish, they had taken all of the oxygen out of the water and it killed them. Church is just like that. When all of our faith It's just about gathering together on Sunday morning, and we don't take it outside of these four walls. We're literally killing ourselves. We're sucking the oxygen out of what's supposed to give us oxygen, that water to the fish that keeps them alive. This keeps you alive, but it keeps you alive for a purpose. When we get sheltered inside of these four walls and we don't go, we're just like those fish. In just a few hours, we're going to go and watch the Super Bowl. And not a single one of us is going to turn on our TVs and just want to listen to the announcers. We want to watch the game. And after that game, nobody's going to run over to the announcer and ask to the announcer and ask for their autograph. But yet, often we do this in church. Pastors become heroes when the fact is they're just announcers. And you guys are playing the game. The game takes place out there. And what we do in here is coaching. What we do in here is training and equipping. And yes, we're sensitive to unbelievers. Yes, and we want people to get saved. But our purpose as a church is that we would go and make disciples of all nations. This isn't the game. You're bored because you're not in the game. You're bored because you're sitting on the sidelines. 
You could be being fed the absolute best food there is, but you've got to burn some calories. You've got to go. A few weeks ago, Chris called me, and he was just having the best day ever. I was like, man, well, you know what's happening? And he just began to tell me, hey, I got to talk to these guys about Jesus. Like, your faith was active. And it's that part where Jesus says, I have food that you don't even know of. So when we go out there, imagine this week, if you have a moment in your workplace where you get to pray for someone and their life gets changed. I guarantee you won't come to church board Sunday. When we see through his eyes, everything changes even when nothing changes. When we see through his eyes, everything changes even when nothing changes. Our marriages become fresh and new even when they're old and familiar. Our faith becomes alive and active even when it's the same faith. Our jobs can become exciting even when it's the same routine. Nothing can change and yet everything can change. And it's a little like trying to find your glasses when they're on your head. <laughs> Where are those things at? The same thing is true of church. We're looking for the answers. We're looking for what is the answer to church? Church. It just has to be used right. Where are my keys? Oh, in my hand. Oh, we've all been there. You know you have. See, I think church can still consist of the pastor preaching. It could still consist of the musician singing. But when Jesus is the center of everything, key word there, everything, when Jesus is the center, now it's no longer just a sermon, but it's a breath of life to a thirsty soul. Now it's no longer just music that's being played by talented men and women, but it's worship to a wonderful, amazing God. Nothing changes, and yet everything changes. Are you tired of church? I think God is too. And he says this, I could have tongues of angels. I could have all of these gifts. I could even have faith to move mountains. I could give my body to be burned. But if I don't have love, I am nothing. The message translation of 1 Corinthians 13 says this, and if I don't have love, I'm bankrupt. I'm bankrupt without love. In other words, there's, there's something central to this thing. There's something central to church that has to be central and remain central, and if it doesn't, it's bankrupt. It's useless. It's hermit crabs and keychains. And that's, central thing is Jesus Christ and the fact that he is sufficient and you are insufficient you can never read the Bible and become a good person because if you read the Bible the Bible's message is simple you stink 
you were drowning in an ocean of sin and you needed help and someone had to do it for you and his name was Jesus Christ. You can't do it. Your best efforts fall short. The greatest sermon falls short. Jesus alone can satisfy and he wants to be the center of this church. See, I'm not just talking about a sermon that I'm talking about some other church out there or some other. I'm talking about this church right here. And like this week, I've had to do so much repenting. I'm just saying, God, forgive me. I'm so sorry. If, if, if any way, I've not made you central to this church. And see, sometimes we look at repentance and we look at sin and we think that it's just because of sin issues. But over in Hebrews 6, um, Paul says this, we're not going to again lay the foundations of these Christian doctrines with what? With repentance of dead works. In other words, yeah, there's a lot of sin, but there's also repentance from dead works. How often do all of these works that I get so caught up with, and they're really useless. It's just dead works. And so we start this ministry, and we start that ministry, we start this program, and we do everything I can to make a good church. And when the fact is, we just need more of Jesus. We need more of God in this church. I need more of God in my life. I need more of the Holy Spirit active in me. And yeah, I mean, all this other stuff is great. And if the band could come back up, we're going to sing one last song here at the end. Everything else is keychains and hermit crabs. And so when we come to church and when we gather together in the assembly, I think a great question to ask is not what kind of church is a great church? What makes a great church? I think a great question to ask is, what kind of church would God want to attend? What kind of church does God want to show up? And in the book of, the last book of, the last few chapters of Exodus and in the book of Leviticus, God really kind of provides a framework, which is again made clear in the New Testament. And that when we gather in the assembly, we gather for four main purposes. And the first main purpose that we gather together for is to one, that we would meet him that you would meet God, that you would come to church to have an encounter with God. The second one is that we would worship God, that we would gather together and we would worship inside of the assembly. We would find ourselves saying alongside all of our Christian brothers and sisters and saying, God, we just worship you because you're worthy third thing is that we would offer up a sacrifice to God. And we do that in all different types of ways. It's not just with the tithe. But we also sacrifice with our praise. We also sacrifice with our families. We set this aside, this time for you, God. We offer this to you, God. This is a sacrifice to you. Lord, whatever it may cost me. And the fourth thing is that we would learn about him. That we would know more of his word. That we would know more of his voice and what he's speaking to us. And these four things were always central to the church. It was central to the tabernacle. It was central even 
in the book of Acts that when they gathered together, that they would go and they would assemble and they would go expecting to meet God, that he would show up, that he would bring the change. Because there's the thing, you can't change yourself. I know we have all of these ideas and, and sometimes pastors are the worst of thinking that we could change something thinking that we could change the world or we're going to change our community or we're going to change this when the reality is we can't change ourselves. Only Jesus can do it. This has been a presentation of Coastal Vineyard Church, a community of faith, hope, and love. For more information on who we are and how you can support future podcasts, visit us on the web at www.coastalvineyard.org. Come on, be.